Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, Bad Dirt. What makes Bad Dirt so bad? The answer? The ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like Bad Dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is the master of ceremonies in all of the reindeer games. I give you the captain. I don't give a shite what Santa Claus says. Second place will still be called first losers this year. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Tonight, we are drinking Holy City Pilsner by the good people at Holy City Brewing, garage grade four out of five bottle caps. This is the first flagship beer in the Holy City Arsenal. This is a crisp and clean, hopped up Bohemian style Pilsner. Holy City will quench your thirst and please your palate all in one glass. And today's beer was brought to us by these pleasing peeps. First up, we have Sam and Fraser in London, England. And a big shout out to Lindsay in Fort Wright, Kentucky. Next up, we have Audrey from Norfolk, Virginia, serving this great country in the Navy. So, Audrey, thank you for your service. And also in Virginia, we have Alan in the town of Raven. And a big we like your jib to Michael in Pinetown, South Africa. And a long distance cheers to Kasia Borkenhagen in Oslo, Norway. And last but not least... We have Charles and Bodymore Murderland. That was my nickname in high school, Captain Boykenhagen. All right, well, a big salute to you, Captain Boykenhagen, and a big salute to everybody near and far that contributed to this week's beer fund. If you want to help out for next week, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. And we're a little behind, so hold your horses. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. June 1st, 1985, 3.10 a.m. I love you all. Last will and testament. I love you, Mommy, Daddy, Robert, Dawn, and Richard, and everyone else, and all the other friends and relatives. I'll be with my father now, so please, please don't worry. Just remember my witty personality and great special times we all shared together. Please don't ever let this ruin your lives. Just keep living one day at a time for Jesus. Some good will come out of this. My thoughts will always be with and in you, casket closed. I love you all so damn much. Sorry, Dad. I had to cuss for once. Jesus, forgive me. 
Richard, sweetie, I really did and always will love you and treasure our special moments. I ask one thing, though. Accept Jesus as your personal Savior. My family has been the greatest influence on my life. Sorry about the cruise money. Someday, please go in my place. I am sorry if I ever disappointed you in any way. I only wanted to make you proud of me because I have always been proud of my family. Mom, Dad, Robert, and Don, there's so much I want to say that I should have said before now. I love you. I know you all love me and will miss me very much, but if you all stick together like we always did, you all can do it. Please do not become hard or upset. Everything works out for the good for those that love the Lord. All of my love, always. I love you all with all my heart. Sharon Sherry Smith P.S. Nana, I love you so much. I kind of always felt like your favorite. You were mine. I love you a lot. Friday, May 31st, 1985. At 3.38 p.m., Bob Smith discovered his daughter Sherry's car unattended with the driver's door open and the motor running at the end of the long driveway leading to the family's home. He called out her name several times and got no response. He checked the vehicle and found Sherry's purse on the seat. But where was his daughter? Sherry's father started searching for her. When his efforts failed, Mr. Smith contacted the police. This is just two days before 17-year-old Sherry Faye Smith was scheduled to sing the national anthem at her high school graduation. So while most of her friends and classmates were packing for their high school graduation trip, Sherry was abducted from the driveway of her Lexington County, South Carolina home. What followed was the largest search in South Carolina history. The investigation was bleak. They had no witnesses and no leads. Sherry is what law enforcement would consider to be an extremely low-risk victim. Therefore, it was important to clear the family as fast as possible and move on to other possibilities. Police very quickly ruled out any involvement by the immediate family or any of the members of the immediate family. They're hoping for a ransom demand. So police put a trace on the Smith's home phone. The next day, the Smith's received a phone call. On the line, a strangely distorted voice of a man who claims he has Sherry captive. He tells Sherry's mother, Hilda, who answered the phone, so you'll know this is not a hoax. Sherry had on a black and yellow bathing suit beneath her shirt and shorts. Then the caller says, you'll get a letter from Sherry later. State officials intercepted her letter. This was entitled Last Will and Testament from the mail. The letter we read during the trailer was that exact letter. Apparently, her abductor had Sherry draft it shortly before her death. This was a two-page handwritten letter, and while it clearly displayed an amazing amount of strength and courage on Sherry's behalf, after reading the letter, no one was optimistic. The papers were sent for fingerprint analysis. Local law enforcement was all over this one. The FBI was very quickly sent in, and the FBI feared the worst. Their theory is that the abductor most likely killed Sherry by the time that they arrived to assist in the case, and the killer would now be ready to search for another victim. They believe the kidnapper saw Sherry and her boyfriend Richard kissing at the local shopping mall. And from there, he followed her home. She stopped at the mailbox, and that's where he snatched her. Seems like a lot of creeps are hanging out at the local malls. So that was their working theory. And after this first call was received, they decided to set up recording equipment at the Smith home because now they're anticipating another phone call. On June 3rd, they received a call asking if they had received the letter. And the caller asked, do you believe me now? To which Hilda 
this is Sherry's mother, replied, no, I have not heard from Sherry, and I need to know if she is alive and well. So basically, if I'm following you correctly, this dirtbag calls the family, and he says, I have her. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you're going to receive a letter. Right. But the letter is the last will and testament, so it's almost implying that she's dead. And then he calls them back and says, do you believe me now? Right. Right. He wants to know if they've received the letter. They, as said, it was intercepted by law enforcement. And this is actually a really good move by Sherry's mother, Hilda, to not kind of cower to this distorted voice on the other end of the phone. Yeah. She's saying, look, I've not heard from my daughter. I need to know if she's alive and well. I don't believe anything you're saying. You say you have her captive. Well, let me talk to my daughter. Right. And so in a sense, she's kind of calling his bluff, right? Or hoping so. Yeah. And he says that when she asked him, I need to know if Sherry's alive and well, he then responds that you will know in two or three days and he hangs up the phone. Now, later that same day, he did call again, this time saying Sherry was alive and he would release her soon and that he wanted to tell her one thing that Sherry is now a part of him physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. He says, our souls are now one. Hilda asked again, if her daughter was alive and well, the man said, Sherry is protected and she is a part of me now. And God looks after all of us. Okay. So, so this guy is a wackadoo weirdo. Well, these are not clear and simple answers to right. very clear and simple questions from Hilda. And the other thing too, Captain, using those words, Sherry's now a part of me physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Our souls are now one. I, I can't feel like anybody's got any good feelings in the Smith home hearing that. That sounds very bleak, sounds very bad i mean it well, just sounds, sounds also, bad well on top of that you have you know her car is found on mm -hmm. so the fact that this individual was able to just pull up behind her grab her take her captive and now this comeback is going to bring the lord jesus christ and our savior into this so because of the first call that was received they were anticipating these two phone calls and attempting to trace the location of these two phone calls now, they did, they did have some luck with that. They were able to determine that these two phone calls did come from the general area. You know, they were, they were local, let's say. Right. But there are some issues. There were some issues with the phone trace. According to the FBI in 1985, it took about 15 minutes to get a pinpoint location of the exact phone from which the calls were placed. Even with the strength and courage shown by Hilda Smith, the caller never stayed on the phone for that length of time. Now, the man called again. This time, it was four days after the abduction, and this time, Sherry's 21-year-old sister, Dawn, answered the phone. The man gave her details about the kidnapping, saying he stopped his car when he saw her at the mailbox. He said he took a few photos of her, then approached her acting friendly. And when he got close enough, he forced her into his vehicle at gunpoint. Mm -hmm. He told Don he was regretful that the whole thing got way out of hand. He then went on to tell her that at 3.10 a.m. Saturday, the 1st of June, Sherry wrote the letter you received, and then at 4.58 Saturday, the 1st of June, we became one soul. He said, don't... There he goes with the weird talk again. Right. And he says, don't ask me any questions. He told Don Sherry would be returned the following evening and that they should have an ambulance on standby, adding you'll receive instructions on where to find us. Well, and this makes you wonder because you take somebody like Dahmer, for example, and he would talk about possessing his victim by eating his victim and that they would become a part of him by doing so. So that's where my head goes with these comments. My head actually goes in two directions. One, what you just said there. Talent. One right there is 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 the possessing. Um, you know, we even hear Zodiac uh, wrote in his letters that they will become slaves, my slaves in the afterlife. Yeah. But the weird thing that I find here is a bit of the opposite that we've seen with like when we talked about Kemper, we talked about BTK, where both of them said, you know, after I killed somebody, 
I just immediately went into pure paranoia where I felt the whole world knew what I just did. Right. And at any second, they're going to come and get me. You know, they're going to come and apprehend me. And here, you know, we have the FBI who's stating, well, we believed by receiving this letter that she was probably already dead before we arrived on the scene to help. And this dude's probably out looking for another victim. He well, might be, but he's also busy spending his time communicating with the family. I wonder what happened to give them that impression that he already killed her. I think the letter, you know, the letter's weird enough that it might steer you in that direction. That's the same way that it steered us to the possession, possessing the victim. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have become one. All of that kooky talk, right? Mm-hmm. What could do. But here's one thing I do want to point out. And mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of books oh. by retired FBI agents. Humble brag. What, 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 what kind of brag is that? That, that I can read? <laughs> I read um, a lot of books. No, that just means I this have is, nothing else to do. This is after. Uh, did you start reading a lot after you studied computer? Well, the thing that I want to point out here that I see time and time again by these retired FBI agents, and don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy them very much. That's why I purchased their books so I can read them. However, th- they're always kind of the smartest guy in the room. And I wonder a lot of times, like, after the fact, they're telling these stories 20, 30 years later, and they're like, ah, we knew already that uh, this is what was going on. Mm-hmm. And it's, you kind of, I question it sometimes. You couldn't have been right every single time. You know what I mean? It just doesn't maybe work this, out that way. Maybe this is why you identify with the books. Right. Remember, he's now telling them that they will receive instructions on where to find us. More of the kooky talk right. and letting them know that, hey, I'm going to let Sherry go. She will be returned the following evening. Make sure you have an ambulance on standby. So to me, I go in a different route thinking, why is so much communication going on if you haven't kept her alive? Mm-hmm. The paranoia, though. At noon the next day, the man called again and said, follow these instructions. Listen carefully. He said, take Highway 378 West to Traffic Circle. Take Prosperity Exit and go one and a half miles. Mm-hmm. Turn right at the Moose Lodge sign. Go one quarter mile and then turn left at the white building. Go to the backyard. There we will be waiting. God chose us. And then he hung up the phone. Yeah, this God speak is just creepy. Well, it's South Carolina. And it's, I I think, you know, it's part of that. Uh, no, I don't mind God talk. I don't mind that at all. You know, I'm a spiritual person. What I do mind is when you kidnap a person, possibly have already murdered her, you made her write her last will and testament, and now you're saying that you have became one, and then you keep bringing God into this. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, don't like that much. Well, and given all these instructions, pretty detailed instructions. It's good for law enforcement that this call like the others was recorded. So the sheriff's department followed the directions and this led them to the body of Sherry Faye Smith. The decomposition of the body suggested that she had been dead for some time, likely since 458 on June 1st, like was noted in the letter. Right. They were pretty sure of this. So she was clothed and they could tell, she was once bound with duct tape, but the, the tape had been removed. So we have the residue left over from the duct tape. And they believe that Sherry's body was likely in this location since shortly after her death. Unfortunately, by the time Sherry's body was located due to the advanced decomp, the pathologist could not ascertain either the cause of death or whether or not she had been sexually assaulted. The pathologist believed, however, that Sherry either suffocated or died from dehydration, this resulting from a rare form of diabetes from which Sherry suffered. Mm. Evidence suggested she was killed elsewhere. Investigators believed her killer placed her there and returned to visit with the corpse, and it was only until the body was too far decomposed for his liking or decomposed enough to hide slash destroy evidence that he told the family where to find her. And it's strange for me with the FBI involved, you'd think that they would be able to determine the cause of death. Well, using the information that they had, the FBI unit put together a profile of the offender. They believed that the offender was in his late 
20s to early 30s, probably divorced, living alone or with his parents. White. He has, uh, yeah, they, they actually will update this profile later, and they didn't include white as part of the first profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, but probably divorced, living alone or with his parents. He has some kind of criminal record. This would include assaults on women or at least obscene phone calls. If he has previously murdered anyone, the victims would be children or young girls. They believed when he was on the phone with Sherry's family, he was reading from a script. They believed the killer was rigid, orderly, and obsessively neat. He would take notes obsessively and keep many lists. Did they say anything about possible military background? Uh, they did not. But usually they will include that if they believe that he does have some type of military background. And the reason why I bring that up is because the neat and orderly possibly wants to create lists. Yeah. You would think that would be somebody that you know had some regiment schedule at some point in their existence. They believe that he owned a vehicle likely three years old or newer, and the vehicle is clean, well-maintained, and cared for. Outwardly, he is arrogant and displays contempt for the world, but on the inside, he is insecure and harbors strong feelings of inadequacy. He possibly goes around telling people he reads a lot of books. Yes, and then and then uh, doesn't speak too highly of the author. <laughs> <laughs> they said that the man is local. Having lived in the area for most of his life, he had access to a secluded area where he knew he would have time to spend with Sherry and her body. They figured that the reason that the caller's voice sounded distorted is because he was using some type of device to achieve this. Mm -hmm. They determined the caller was using something called a variable speed device. They were now in the process of tracking down manufacturers of these types of devices and retailers. This suggested that the suspect had a background in electronics. So it's it's always interesting to me, Captain, how they come up with this. Some of it more detailed than other profiles that we've reviewed in the past. The stuff about the books is fascinating. Right. No, what gets me is when they say, we believe that he has a car that's three years old or newer. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so random. And it's like, you don't know, do they have any eyewitnesses that would make them lean that way or... Or is this just kind of a random guess? According to the information I could find, there was no eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. Right. That's that's why it's so random to me. We believe that he has a newer uh, three-year-old car or newer. That's so pinpoint. I think they come up with this for a couple of reasons. One, I think they're working off of the idea that this guy is driving a lot, mm-hmm. that he's spending a lot of time driving. And they may also believe him to be careful. If they believe him to be careful and driving all the time, they're probably going off of the thought that he would prefer to drive a newer vehicle, something Mm -hmm. that's well-maintained and well-cared for because it would be too risky to spend all that time driving, and he wouldn't do that because he's careful. Or possibly the idea that this guy was married, divorced, so he possibly has a career, is living with somebody or living with his parents, so therefore he has the money where he would have a nicer vehicle because that would be his only opportunity to maybe impress a a female also. That's interesting that you picked up on that because with having a background in electronics, they're almost suggesting that they believe this individual has a job. And like you said, if they believe he's living with his parents, he has more money than somebody not living with their parents. Mm -hmm. But the obvious thing here is usually when they base off of Uh, the situation, is this individual local or not? And that seems to be pretty quick to come to that assumption. And I think here really exemplifies that to perfection. You know, we have a situation where he gives very detailed directions to find her body. And I have to believe that law enforcement's working off of the thought that that's not just a place that this guy stumbled upon, that this is an area that he knew and knew well and therefore, he's a local guy. He didn't just drive in and happen to see her at the mailbox and take her away. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. 
Millions of people pass go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to factormeals.com slash true crime garage 50 and use code true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code true crime garage 50 at factormeals.com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Make sure you check our show off the record on Stitcher Premium this week. It's Q&A part one. The easiest way to find off the record is to go to our website and click on the off the record link. The day after they found the body of Sherry Smith, the killer called the home again. And this time he called collect. He asked to speak with Dawn. He told her he would be sending the family the photos of Sherry And he asked her for forgiveness and for their prayers. He said he was going to commit suicide because this thing got out of hand. And all he wanted to do in the beginning was to make love to Dawn. And that is why he was watching her. Dawn, startled by this, interrupted the man and asked the man, make love to whom? Then he corrected himself and he said the name Sherry and he hung up the phone. Later that same day, the killer called a local TV network and asked for a specific reporter and told that reporter he planned to turn himself in at some point and he would give the reporter an exclusive interview. Yeah, this guy's changing his stories. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to turn myself in. He should have just killed himself. Yeah, you wonder if it's just, does he need to get forgiveness from the family for some reason or is this attention-seeking It seems like a lot of work and a lot of effort, risky behavior for some attention. Yeah, but he's a complete wackadoo. Mm -hmm. And the FBI didn't believe, or they say they didn't believe the man would turn himself in or kill himself at any point. They believe that the calls were, in fact, seeking forgiveness from Sherry's family, but also to manipulate and control the situation as much as he possibly could. And that this guy would eventually kill again. Yeah, well, this guy's a giant piece of shit. Well, what would have been nice, though, is if he would have put himself in a brown paper bag and then rang somebody's doorbell and lit himself on fire. Okay, so I do want to touch on this, though, because we do know from this last phone call that he says that in the beginning, all he wanted to do is make love to Dawn. Dawn's 21 years old. Sherry Smith is 17. And they actually... You can find there's quite a bit of uh, photos and images of both of them on the Internet, and you can see that the two of them look very much alike. Okay. So this is when he makes this slip, when he says Dawn instead of Sherry when he's on the phone with Dawn, I was really curious why the FBI didn't update their profile. Because remember they said at one point that if he had killed before – his victims would have been children or young girls. Right. Okay. Well, Sherry, yes, she's 17 and that's more closer to being an adult, but Dawn is absolutely an adult. So you almost wonder if now at this point, if you're going to say if he is killed before, is there a chance that Dawn was actually the intended victim? You know, because he, he's not going to see her or see a girl that he perceives to be Dawn at the mailbox and walk up and ask her if that's, are you Dawn? You know, right. But he did take some pictures before. So then you wonder throwing it out there. Maybe this individual's supposed to wear glasses, but doesn't. And so is it, is it that simple of a mistake? And then when he gets closer, it's the wrong girl, but it's too late at that point. I think it's, I think it's very much like that. I think it's he, the intended victim was Dawn. He hoped to abduct her and do whatever he did with Sherry with her. But I think at some point he would accept the substitution. Or like you said, I mean, I think it's kind of too late. Look, he probably opened up that door for the person. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, it's too late mm-hmm. in his mind. Well, the man called Don Smith again. Uh, this time he told Don that he gave Sherry a choice of how she would be killed. And the choices were overdose, shooting, or suffocation, and Sherry chose suffocation. 
He told Dawn he killed Sherry by placing duct tape over her mouth and nose until she died. Two weeks after the abduction of Sherry, nine-year-old Deborah May Helmick was playing with her three-year-old brother at their home in Richland County when she was abducted from the front yard of the family's home. Mm. A neighbor saw a vehicle pull up and a man get out of the car. The man spoke with Deborah, then grabbed her, threw the screaming girl into his car and drove off. Now, the neighbor immediately alerted Deborah's father, who was inside their home. They called police, and after, the two of them jumped into a vehicle, and they went speeding after the abductor's car, but were unable to track down the vehicle. Well, this sounds similar to the FBI immediately thinking, this is our guy. In Sherry's case? Yeah, yeah. They believe the offender is one and the same. And with the addition of the second victim, especially a younger victim, the FBI didn't really change their profile, but they did add to the profile. They added that the killer and abductor is a white man, outwardly shy, may be overweight, but at the very least is not attractive two women so he's no bradley cooper those close to him may notice one or more of the following the offender is experiencing weight loss drinking heavily not shaving regularly and he would be eager to talk about the crimes as he is following the investigation coverage on the evening news or in the papers he's also a collector of pornography that likely focused on bondage and or is of sadomasochistic nature. So not good old-fashioned Christian porn. And because of the young age of the second abducted victim, Deborah only being nine years old, they believe the offender would be too ashamed to call or correspond with Deborah's family. Well, this turned out to be true. No phone calls and no letters. The killer also stopped calling the Smith house. The FBI believed that the phone calls would be the easiest way to trap the killer. Yeah, I believe it would be as well. And since he's not calling or writing, it's almost like they would want to put out a taunt to him. Mm. And like, you know, he already contacted news reporters before. Have that same news reporter do a report on how this guy uh, has become weak and vulnerable because he hasn't reached out to the FBI. So knowing that the unknown subject was following the case in the news and in the papers, the FBI decided to enlist the help of a reporter of a single reporter. See, they They wanted to force this man out into the open or at the very least, get him to call the Smith's home. Once again, they wanted to use Dawn Smith as bait for their trap. Now the Smiths begrudgingly went along with this. So they held a memorial service for Sherry Faye Smith. They wanted the Smith family and Dawn present at this memorial service. And during the ceremony, they had reporters snap photos of Dawn holding a stuffed animal belonging to Sherry and flowers for her memorial. Meanwhile, undercover agents wrote down license plate numbers for all the vehicles that were present in the area. Now, this didn't seem to flush out the killer, out into the open, but he did once again call the Smith home, this time calling long distance and collect. You have a collect call from a giant piece of shot? Well, that's interesting that you say that, Captain, because, okay, so in these collect calls, you Mm. would, if you were calling someone collect, you would be given a brief uh, set of time there where you could announce who you are. So it would say, you have a collect call from so-and-so, and then the person receiving the call who would be paying for it can decide if they're going to accept the call, accept the charges or not. Mm -hmm. So during this portion where the caller can announce their name and who they are, it's a man's voice, but he says that his name is Sherry Faye Smith. Okay. Dawn does accept this call. This time the man was not using the voice distortion device. He told Dawn that God wants her to join Sherry Faye, saying it's just a matter of time this month, Next month, this year, next year, you can't be protected forever. Then he asked Dawn if she had heard of Deborah May Helmick. Dawn said she had, to which he tells her, listen carefully. Go one mile west, turn left at Bill's Grill, go three and a half miles through Gilbert, turn right at the last dirt road before you come to Two Notch Road. Go through the no trespassing sign. Go 50 yards. Deborah May is waiting. 
God forgive us all. Yeah, I don't need this turd stain to be confessing for my sins. The FBI is now worried and regretting the ploy of using Dawn as bait because of the received threat. Uh, During all of this, law enforcement was still submitting the letter from Sherry titled The Last Will and Testament to every possible test. The letter was drafted on yellow-lined legal paper from a pad, so they decided to use an ESTI machine. This device can detect even the slightest indentations on a piece of paper. They wanted to see if they could pull any possible information from indentations that were made from writing on pieces of paper above the last will in the legal pad. And they found some interesting leads. They found a partial grocery list and a sequence of numbers. With further testing, they could detect nine numbers of a possible 10-digit sequence. The numbers are, in this order, 205-837-13-blank-8. This was a phone number in Huntsville, Alabama. So working with the phone company, they checked all 10 possible phone numbers for a connection to Lexington County, South Carolina, where Sherry and the Smith family lived. One of the numbers in Huntsville received several calls from a residence just 15 miles from Sherry Fay's home. The home belonged to Ellis and Sharon Shepard. Law enforcement went to the home and interviewed Ellis and Sharon. The Shepherds told police they had made phone calls to Huntsville where their son was stationed in the army, but they were out of town when both of the murders were committed. They explained a man who worked for Ellis as an electrician, Larry Jean Bell, was put in charge of house sitting for the six weeks that they were away. Larry was in his early 30s, divorced, lived with his parents. He was neat and orderly, and when he picked them up from the airport, he spoke constantly about the unsolved murders that occurred while they were away. He had noticeably lost weight, he was unshaven, and he was irritable. The sheriff asked Mr. Shepard to show him the room where Larry stayed while watching the home. Under the bed, they found Mr. Shepard's handgun jammed and pornographic magazines featuring bondage on the cover. Now, regarding the sequence of numbers, the couple wrote down the telephone number for their son and gave it to Larry Jean Bell before they left for their vacation with instructions that if anything were to come up with the house to call their son. The police played a portion of the last call received by the Smiths. This is the one where the killer did not use the voice distortion device. Right. And the shepherds confirmed it sounded just like Larry's voice armed with this information. They did some digging and they found that a vehicle registered to bell was seen at the memorial service for Sherry Fay. The officer wrote down the plate number and noted that the driver did not exit the vehicle. He simply drove by. The vehicle was less than three years old. Early the next morning, police surrounded Larry's parents' home and arrested him as he was leaving their home to go off to work. A quick background check revealed Bell was twice arrested for attempted assaults on women. On both of these occasions, he attempted to force a young woman into his car at knife point unsuccessfully. Under questioning, Bell admitted to nothing. Inside Bell's parents' home, in his bedroom, police found hairs on the bed matching hairs from Sherry Faye Smith. In Larry's desk, they found a sheet of stamps from which the stamp used to marry Sherry's last will and testament originated from. The neighbor that witnessed the abduction of Deborah May told police after the arrest it was, in fact, Bell who he saw pulling the screaming child into his car that day. Under further questioning, Bell still admitted nothing. So they played the tape of his voice from the phone calls for him, and still Bell admitted nothing. So they brought in the FBI to further continue the questioning. They took a different approach rather than to continue to question him. They explained to him that they had a lot of experience in dealing with these types of crimes, and that the perpetrator of these types of crimes never gets the opportunity to explain themselves and their side of the story. Often, the offender is too afraid and ashamed to admit what they have done, and once they are in court, their attorney will not let them take the stand. Right. So this individual is then trapped in a nightmare that never goes away, and he goes away 
to a lengthy prison sentence, and no one understands him. No one knows what the hell he was going through at that time. Well, I like their tactic here, but we could always employ my scary clowns where we dress up like clowns and we beat the guy to the inch of his life to get him to start confessing. Well, as they're explaining this to Larry, they notice that Larry Bell is nodding his head up and down. He's he's agreeing with what they have to say. Uh-huh. And seeing that he's responding, they leaned in for the kill and asked him, when did you start to feel sorry about the crime, Larry? Did they whisper this? I don't know. Okay. To it which, seems like it would be a powerful move, you know. Come on, Larry. Tell us what you know. We gotcha. Well, they ask him when he started to feel sorry about this crime, and to which he says it was when he saw a photograph of the Smith family. Right. Then they asked him if he could have possibly done this sort of thing, and Larry told them, quote, all I know is the Larry Jean Bell sitting here could not have done this, but the bad Larry Jean Bell could have. So that is going to be the closest thing to a confession that Larry Jean Bell would ever give regarding both of these murders. So we do have a confession or a loose confession, right? Implied confession. Mm -hmm. We have some of Sherry's hairs found in his room on his pillow. In his bedroom. Okay. And then we have an eyewitness that saw him taking the nine-year-old girl away. And and then the car registered... The yeah, so him car. driving by the memorial is not really any evidence. But you know, it's stacking pieces on the case. Right. Yeah. But but there is a lot of evidence. Like you said, you not only do you have the hairs that match Sherry Faye Smith's hair in his bedroom. I mean, how the hell is that going to get there? Two, you have the sheet from which the stamp came from that right. the last will and testament was mailed. You also have all these little connecting factors to the letter itself. You know, the indentations that they found using that Esty machine. And then you have the uh, shepherds for which he is home, you know, he's house sitting for. Mm-hmm. And they say, yeah, that's his voice on right, right. <laughs> on that recording. And this is the so killer that's, a, that's calling yeah. and taunting the Smith family. And that's not as good as picking them out of a lineup or anything, but that's that's something. Right. And and to which, I guess, for the lineup purposes, you have a bit of less evidence regarding the abduction and murder of the little girl, of Deborah May Helmick. Yeah. But you do have that eyewitness who says, okay, you know, I see this picture of Larry Jean Bell on the news, and he calls up police and says, that's the same guy that I saw take that little girl. So we have... All this evidence mounting up, and like you said, this real loosey-goosey somewhat of a confession. Yeah. You know, He doesn't say, I didn't kill these girls. He says, the bad Larry Jean Bell could have yeah. done this, would have been uh, capable, I guess, of doing but this. But the good Larry, you know, he's serving his community, and he's serving God. Sherry Faye Smith's older sister, Dawn, she was super brave and strong during the investigation into her sister's abduction and murder she went on to be crowned miss south carolina in the following year she was the runner-up in the miss america contest in february of 1986 larry jean bell was convicted of murdering and kidnapping sherry faye smith the jury recommended the death sentence and the trial judge imposed the sentence in accordance with the jury's findings in 1987 in a separate trial Bell was convicted of murdering and kidnapping Deborah May Helmick. And again, he was given a sentence of death. For nine years, Larry Jean Bell filed and played the appeals game trying to work the courts. But on October 4th, 1996, the state of South Carolina, in accordance with his sentences, Larry Jean Bell was strapped into the electric chair and killed. A large crowd cheered as the hearse carrying Bell's body left the broad river correctional institution one of his defense lawyers said quote we have executed a sick delusional psychotic man it's beyond fascinating how correct their profile was in this case now mr 
I read a lot of books. <laughs> do we have any recommended reading for this week? We do, and I'm happy to announce that it's not a book by a retired FBI agent, so you, mm-hmm. you so know it's, it's be good. written on higher than a third grade level. You know what, though, Captain? I feel like mm-hmm. I want to punch myself in the face for saying that <laughs> during the episode because that's yeah. like my favorite reading. Is now you know how I, how I feel every right. episode. Constantly, mm-hmm. just fighting the urge to attack your co-host. So this week, recommending a book called Handsome Johnny, The Life and Death of Johnny Rosselli, gentleman, gangster, Hollywood producer, and CIA assassin. So take a deep dive into the American underworld, Johnny Rosselli in Handsome Johnny. This book, I've been looking forward to this one. You don't have to write down the title right now, though, Captain, or anybody out there, because you can go to our website, truecrimegarage.com, click on the recommended page. We have books and recommendations there for you. Yeah, and head out to the website. Click on the store page because there's tons of shirts left. Uh, we're running out of some of the shirts, but they should, if you order now, they'll be shipped in time for Christmas. And real quick before we close out today, Captain, mm-hmm. um, last week I got an email from Carly. She said she was listening to My Favorite Murder, and there's an episode, I guess, where Georgia mentions True Crime Garage did a four-part series on the boys on the tracks case. Mm-hmm. So Carly excited, you know, she listens to our show. She went and she tried to find the boys on the tracks and she emailed me and said, I cannot find these episodes on your feed. So I responded to her, get the stitcher app because all of our old episodes are on there and it's free. You can listen to all of our huge giant catalog that That's Georgia recommends so much on the Stitcher app. And join us tomorrow in the garage as we cover another case. Instead of just doing one part this week, we decided to do two one-parters. That's right. We will be right back here in the garage tomorrow. We expect to see you here. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aww. i mean just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 